passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 178 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back in a big way. College football, we're in the thick of it. NFL, we're in the thick of it. And Bet Online remains to be your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You're going to find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends, everything you need to be as educated as possible to place your bets. And as your continued source for all sports wagering, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. And it's not just football. BetOnline has you covered for Major League Baseball, playoffs are around the corner, MMA, tennis, boxing, NBA is starting up soon, NHL starting up soon, and even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join today and receive your 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your reward again. That's 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code B-L-E-A-V. Bet online where the game starts with that said. Episode 178 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Wait, wait, wait. Hey. She like the way that I dance, she like the way that I move, she like the way that I rock, she like the way that I woo, and she let it clap for she let it clap for and she throw it back for it, yeah she throw it back for it, like a Mary, like a Mary, Billy Jane, Billy Jane, uh, Christian Dior, Dior, I'm up in all the stores, when it rains it pours, you know what it is, episode 178 for the love of the game. It's your boy, ATH, back behind the mic, back in the saddle. An interesting weekend in sports, especially here in the tri-state area. And I know we're in the thick of it for NFL season, but baseball playoffs are right around the corner. The two local teams are very much in the hunt. And, well, the Mets... Had an important weekend, and it really didn't go very well. Uh, so we're going to start right there. we got to start there with the Mets. The Mets entered their weekend series with the Braves. The Braves, who have been the second hottest team in the last couple of months in Major League Baseball. They are playing at an incredible clip. The Mets had a 10.5 game lead in the division in June. But they came into the series with a one-game lead. They needed to win one game 
one game to ensure that there would be that they would have the tie break over the Braves. So essentially, even if they were tied, it'd be a game up on the Braves. They needed to win one game. The Mets lined it up. Their three best pitchers, DeGrom, Scherzer, Chris Bassett, had it all lined up. And what do you know? The New York Mets, who are having their best regular season record since 1988, the New York Mets lost three straight to the Braves. And now it makes it very, very difficult for the Mets to win the division. They're going to need a lot of help from the Braves. And somehow I'm not sure they're going to get it. Stranger things have happened, but it doesn't look great. So let's talk about what happened this weekend for the Mets. As I just mentioned, lined up their three big-time pitchers, and I include Bassett in that because he's been really, really good. DeGrom goes out, gives up three solo home runs. Mets lose 5-2 to Friday. Max Scherzer, not a whole heck of a lot better. The Mets lose Saturday. And then Chris Bassett last night doesn't even get out of the third inning. Absolutely brutal for the Mets. I mean, the Braves have been the Mets' bugaboo since I was a kid. I mean, when the Mets had pretty good teams in the late 90s, the Braves were always there to beat up on the Mets. See 1998, 1999 as examples. In 2008, I think, when the Braves were really bad and the Mets just needed to win like one game to avoid a collapse, the Braves swept them. I think the Braves lost like 90 games that year. I mean, the Braves have been a thorn in the Mets' side for years. And while the pitchers came up small, it really wasn't so much about the pitchers. Yeah, DeGrom gave up three solo home runs. You don't love that. But the Mets lineup, which fans have been complaining about for a while, the Mets fan was so angry about not making trades at the trade deadline to get a bat. They were looking into J.D. Martinez. He was one guy. But ultimately, they stood pat. They opted for Vogelback as D.H., and he had a really nice game Sunday night. But let's just be honest, you know, Vogelback is not the answer uh, in terms of uh, an impact bat. It was tough, really tough for the Mets. And, and right now they're in a world of hurt because as it stands, they're going to play the San Diego Padres in a best of three. All the games are going to be in New York, but again, best of three against the team that has had your number this year, it's not great. It's it's really not great, and the Met fans are are just in a lot of pain, in a lot of pain, because for a season that was as exciting as this season has been, again, best regular season record since 1988. And there just happens to be a team that has been a thorn in your side that's just a little bit better. But crazy. The, it's just nuts with the Mets. Because they went from World Series hopeful to now looking at possibly being out in the wild card round. With a team that's payroll is going to be $350 million or so next year if they bring everybody back. And they have a lot of important free agents. Edwin Diaz. Free agent. Jacob DeGrom, free agent. I mean, 
Met fans are are really down. They're really down, and I can't blame them. Now, the Met fan was complaining when they were down one nothing last night, like the, the season was completely over. I think that was a little overblown. Again, they didn't end up winning the game, so you can be down and out today. But in the first inning, down one run, I mean, come on. That's a little much. And for the Met fan who's comparing this to 2007, 2008, well, it's not that bad, right? Because you're still in the dance. You still have a chance. Anything could happen in the postseason. Would you like to be going in on a higher note than they are? Yes, but you're still in the dance. So it's not that complete collapse, but it's hard to feel good for the Met fan right now. And for a team that I legit thought a couple of months ago could have won the World Series or was a World Series favorite, I should say, it's looking harder and harder to uh, justify that prediction. And then the Atlanta Braves are great. They're great. They have good pitching, not quite as top tier as the Mets, but they've got good pitching. They've got young hitters, and all those guys are locked up for a long time. So the Mets, with this new era of Mets baseball under Steve Cohen, and it's been a lot better. It's been a lot better. It's They're going to win 100 games. So, of course, it's a lot better, but the Braves are still a thorn in the side. Tough, tough morning to be a Mets fan right now. As for the Yankees, it's all about Aaron Judge and his quest for 62. He hit 61 in Toronto. Didn't get it done in Yankee Stadium. It's all about that the last couple of games. The Yankees locked up the division a while ago. I still don't have a tremendous amount of faith in the Yankees this year and the Yankees going forward. I ranted about that last week. We're not going to rehash that. Football. A lot different tune for the locals in the NFL. The New York Giants won an absolute eyesore of a game, 20-12 against the Bears, in a game where Daniel Jones severely sprained his ankle, can't move. Tyrod Taylor comes in, tries to pick up a first down, extra couple of yards on a run, gets concussed, almost fumbled the game away, and there's not a whole lot to take from this giant win, other than the fact that Saquon Barkley is the best running back in football when he's healthy. But it was just absolutely ugly. I mean, they didn't pass for over 85 passing yards. And they won a game. Just goes to show you how bad the Bears are, even though they're 2-2. Two and two, they're, they're horrific. I am less and less optimistic about the Giants this year, every single week, even though they're 3-1. and one. It, it, You can't feel good about the long-term position that they're in this season. The quarterback situation's a mess. I know Daniel Jones played well in Dallas, the loss in Dallas, but it's a mess. The receivers are a mess. The only good thing for the Giants, and this shouldn't be, you know, this is no small thing, by the way, is that they seem to have a coach and they seem to have a general manager who's competent. And the defense plays their butts off and Saquon Barkley's still good. And the NFC stinks. The NFC really stinks. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but not a whole lot to take from this Giants game and this Giants win, especially when they basically were running the Wildcat for the better part of the fourth quarter and still winning. That just goes to show you how bad the Bears are. But the New York Jets, this was a big win for the New York Jets. Zach Wilson was back. It was his first game. This had all the makings for a painful loss for the Jets. 
Mitch Trubisky was absolutely disastrous for the Steelers. Kenny Pickett comes in, threw a couple interceptions, but he got the chains moving. I mean, the interceptions that Pickett threw were a little deceiving. One was at the end of the first half. One was at the end of the game on the Hail Mary. He got them in the end zone twice. And the Jets needed to come from behind after squandering the lead. They needed to come from behind in the fourth quarter, and Zach Wilson was really good in the fourth quarter. So while the game against the Browns was exceedingly fluky, you can actually really feel good about this one if you're the Jets long-term. Because Zach Wilson showed that against a good defense, that he can make plays where it matters. And you have a guy who could sling it, as Brandon Tierney so eloquently said on Twitter. You have a guy who could sling it when it matters most. Should give you hope. Now, I don't think the Jets are winning more than five games this year. But it should give you hope that things are moving in the right direction for the Jets. So we'll see. We'll see. Around the NFL week four, which was, I know there's a lot of one-score games, but I'm sorry, there was a lot of boring games. And the four o'clock slate yesterday was really boring. But a couple of things around the league. Bills-Ravens. I love this game so much. I know I'm a little bit of a Ravens hater. I know I'm a I'm like the chief Lamar skeptic. But I'm just so tired of all the Lamar praise. Lamar this, Lamar that. He's going to win MVP, yada, yada, yada. They had the Bills down 20-3 and they couldn't close. And Lamar Jackson, who's supposedly the MVP of the league, squanders the lead, throws a late pick. Bills come back to win. It just goes to show you yesterday – was the epitome of why there are levels to this, right? I don't think Lamar Jackson's a bad quarterback. But the way he's spoken about in the media, like that he's on the same level as the guy he played against yesterday. You can't watch yesterday's game and know what happened and think the two of those guys are on the same level or that he's on the level of Patrick Mahomes because he's not. He's just not. I don't know what else to say. I, I've ranted about this a whole bunch, but it's great to be validated in big games week after week with the Ravens. Now, again, their defense has been terrible. But if you're the MVP of the league, you find a way to win that game. And uh, he didn't. He didn't. It is what it is. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Stop treating him like he is. Uh, the Chiefs, I spoke about Patrick Mahomes while he was sensational against a really good Bucks defense. It was one of the games I got right, uh, my picks against the spread, which were not good this week. It was a, a mess of a week, but the Chiefs are good. I said it even last week after that weird loss to the Colts, the Chiefs are good. They're one of the few good teams in this league. The Eagles were impressive against the Jaguars going down 14-0 and then basically not giving up another score until late. I still like the Jaguars. It was a messy game. Rain all over the place, but impressive by the Eagles. The Eagles, the Bills, and the Chiefs are the three best teams in the league. And after that, are there any other good teams? Are there? Like, really? The Packers didn't look particularly good against a third-string quarterback. You had to sweat that one out if I picked them in Survivor, which I did, against the Patriots that are not a good Patriots team. Are the Packers good? Are the Chargers good? I know they're hurt, but the Texans were in that game. Texans are not good. They were in that game. Like, who's good in this league? Who are the good teams? The Bills are good. 
The Chiefs are good. The Eagles are good. But who else is good? And I know all these games are close, but they're not particularly well played. They're not enjoyable to watch. Like, if you looked at the London game, Vikings-Saints, it was a crazy finish. But was that visually appealing? Those teams stink. Both those teams stink. This NFL season, while there's been some crazy finishes, I just, I find it harder and harder to watch each week because I, I think the level of play is just bad. The level of play is bad. I, I'm not really sure what to make of it. I, I do think Tampa Bay will be a good team, all said and done. I think they will be one of the good teams. But it, it's, and we're going to monitor what happens with the Dolphins because obviously the the two injury was a, a disaster. And I didn't even think it was such a crazy hit, but I, I given that, that he got hit against the Bills before, and it's been spoken about it a lot, but I'm just talking about the football stuff. The Dolphins could be a good team, but if two is out for an extended period of time, can they sustain it, survive it? Maybe. Who knows? But I really don't think there are more than four or five good teams in this league. And it's just, it's tough to watch each week. So again, as I mentioned before, briefly, I was one and four in my picks against the spread. Absolute mess. Right now I'm recording on a Monday afternoon. So I'll give out the lines maybe a little bit later, but we got to rebound. Got to rebound and be better next week than I was this week. Not a good week for you man's picks against the spread. Even though I did give a bonus pick on my own, Tennessee Titans to cover and to win. That was good, but other than that, it was a mess. With that said, I can't believe it's already almost NBA season, my bread and butter, and I'm going to have a recurring guest to talk about the issue in my life that is the New York Knicks. We're going to have a little bit of a therapy session, and we're going to talk to him in just a matter of moments. So I mentioned it in the monologue. I have the pleasure of welcoming back on a very special recurring guest to the podcast is one of the members of the toxic boys to self-proclaimed king of nick's twitter it's the man the myth the legend it's pop the left he's back we're gonna have a little bit of a therapy session what's going on brother how you doing well god bless you god bless all your listeners shout out to everybody supporting the podcast i'm doing great and I'm excited for another New York Knicks season. What's going on? So that's what we got to talk about. There, There's a lot of discourse right now. Not really sure what to make of it. But I'll, I'll ask you this. Knicks fans are very active on Twitter. Knicks Twitter is definitely an entity to itself. You mentioned a couple of days ago that Knicks Twitter is in civil war. Why do we do this to ourselves where we put so much energy and an emotion into a team that will probably be an 11th or a 12th seed? That's a great question. I think, I think when you put your heart and soul into something uh, in any place in life, I think that there is a commitment that you've made to see it through to the end. And, I think one of the interesting parts of, of why I say the Knicks are at Civil War and connecting it to this journey that the fans are on is that at this point in Knicks fandom, I think there's a universal desire or need for the rebuild to be ran in a way that is committed 
that is patient. Um, and, that is and linear. That, has, that is yes, linear. Yes. So I think yes, that is linear. So I think I think the Knicks fan pretty much saw the the quick fix option, you know, fall apart. With um, this point, the the deductive reasoning is okay. So you didn't. Um, you didn't acquire the star because you held on to your assets. So the the only thing you should be worried about right now is to build your assets, being the rookie scale deals, the Obi Toppins, the Quentin Grimes, the Emmanuel Quickleys, um, and then leaning into those players and not being distracted by you know trying to chase wins or or chase you know you know the values of contracts that are existing as a negative to make them a neutral or, or a miracle positive. I think what they, sh the Knicks fans are pretty much at civil war is like some fans are like, Hey, like let Tibbs figure it out. Let, let him, and, and then, you know, let him play whoever he thinks you guys are overrating these kids. And then I think a lot of the fans are pushing back and saying like, we're not overrating these kids. We don't know who these kids are. And until we know who these kids are, this, this organization is going to be stuck in the middle, they're going to be an 11th, 10th, 9th seed. And the worst thing that happened is that these kids all fact overrated and you let them play and you push them down um, into a lower part of the, to, of the seating and you get a better draft pick. Um, if they are good, then you can build with them or you can trade with them. Um, and, and that's the point. The point is, is that the best years of Evan Fournier's career, the best years of Derek Rose's career, are likely behind them, <laughs> and uh, even if they did have a great year, you're not going to you're not going to improve this franchise by proving to the NBA that these guys are worth something. Nobody's going to trade you anything for them. But if Quentin Grimes, if Emmanuel Quickly, if Obi Toppin blossom and they show something to the NBA, now you have an asset on your own team that you can build with that you can sign to a rookie extension, um, or you can trade them. For, for a superstar. So I think the fact that they they had their eyes on Donovan Mitchell, the players that were involved for the trade are still here. I think Knicks fans want, uh, most Knicks fans want a commitment to those players and to the players that were, um, that are, you know, young around them. May they be uh, Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson. Well, you mentioned the divide between, you know, having the guys, the young guys, and talk and seeing what they are, and and we saw this manifest itself in the trade discussions this summer, right? Like Danny Ainge was wanting the world, uh, in terms of in terms of assets, he wanted a whole bunch of young players, he wanted a whole bunch of picks, and it was clear that the rest of the league doesn't value the Knicks young players as much as the Knicks value their young players. I think that was very very evident. And it's frustrating to us because if the front office doesn't, you know, values them super high, then there seems to be no mandate in terms of playing them to really find out. And that is, to me, just, it makes no sense. So the, it, it just seems like a weird mix of Tim's is an old crotchety dude who overachieved two years ago in a weird year where there were very few fans in the stands for most of the year and now it's kind of it's disintegrating beneath him and what's best for the knicks is what he does not want to do 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think that when it comes to Tibbs, he's going to play his bets. He's going to play Derrick Rose. He's going to play play Evan Fournier. He's going to play Julius Randle. Um, but you know, it, it's it's not just that. It's it's the the you know, if Evan Fournier went two for eleven, right? He would have the opportunity to come back in the next day and 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 light him up. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah. that it's unfair to some of these guys who who come into the game in four to five, six minute spurts and to say, well, I guess they're not any good, you know, because they didn't have a good night. I, I think you gotta give some of these guys need need the chance to make mistakes on an NBA basketball court and come back the next day. Case in point, you know, R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett's development, you know, a lot of people are pointing to, you know, the, the, the year he had last year, but he had multiple years, two years, to, to really make a lot of mistakes on the basketball court and find himself. And, you know, growing pains like that are necessary. I, I don't think anybody's expecting, um, um, you know, all-star performances from Quentin Grimes or an Obi Toppin. But the, the thing that what, what, what Tibbs needs to realize, this team better if those players don't, don't you know, yield value. If they're not yielding value, you're not going to win any championships at Evan Fournier and Derrick Rose. And um, I, I, think, I don't think it's rocket science, man. That, the Cam Reddish piece said that, you know, is an expiring deal. I, I get it. You know, you, you, traded, you traded something. You want to get some value out of it. Maybe you don't want to sacrifice the team concept. For one guy, but they seem to be hell bent on doing it with Julius Randle. They seem hell bent on doing it with Evan Fournier. So, uh, you know, we'll 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 see how Tibbs is is doing. I think Leon Rose did the right thing this offseason um, by getting rid of Alec Burks, by getting rid of Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson, Kemba Walker. Foregone conclusion, he was no longer going to be part of this team. Um, but uh, you know, there's Tibbs. There's there's still an eight nine man rotation in his world. And when you look at the team, you got Brunson, RJ, Fournier, Randall, and Mitch starting five. You got Derrick Rose automatically coming off the bench. You have Emmanuel quickly over top and being his running mates. Then you got Hartenstein that you brought in here for two years, $16 million. So you really, what you have is nine men that are guaranteed spots pretty much. And you have, you know, a coach that has never been willing to, to run 10 or 11 guys out in a rotation. So, they are deep. Um, uh, that'll be a strength to this team. Hopefully everybody stays healthy. And if they don't, I think Tibbs' job will be a little bit easier because he'll just like just take it for what we're looking at, you know, at the time of this podcast. Quinn Grimes is a sore foot, so he's not playing. So that makes Cam Reddish more easy to play. You know what I mean? So uh, when everybody's fully healthy, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how Tibbs, you know, works uh, the 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 uh, the players into his rotation, knowing that he is a, a, a traditionally short uh, rotation uh, uh, play, uh, coach. What I Before we get into the you know front office and, and how they did this offseason, the Cam Reddish thing with Nick's Twitter, I, I, don't, I don't understand how, again, we could be so up in arms about a guy who, say what you want, but it's his second stop in the league, right? I'm not saying Tibbs is the most perfect guy in terms of, figuring out a young player's value, but it's his second stop in the league and it hasn't clicked. Like why are Knicks fans like clinging to this when it's probably not going to work out? Like, I just don't get it. 
Well, you got to look at the, the physical framework of what Cam Reddish is able to do. First of all, he's 6'8". He has, a, I think, a 7-foot wingspan. Um, he's, he can do things on a basketball court um, that, that not a lot of people on our team can do. He's, uh, he can shoot the three. He, he can get to the rim. In theory, um, he could shoot the three. He's not a great three-point shooter. Yeah, um, but you know, I, I think I think Knicks fans again, when you trade when you trade a first-round pick, when you when you when you're uh, trading your your draft pick and Kevin Knox, you gave up on him. Um, you brought him in here to get a look, and I think right you know, there are stand, there are there are sections of the fan base that think Cam Reddish is, is the truth. There's also sections of the fan base that's, that are saying what I'm saying is, and I'm not saying that he's not the truth. I'm just saying that what is the harm in getting a look at him? If, if you have to sit down Evan Fournier, it's like it's like selling a Honda. Like you know what a Honda does? It can be sitting in the garage for a year, and, and it will lose any value. It's, it's going to work. It's going to get you from point A to point B, and it's it's nothing flashy, but but it works. And I don't think anybody in the NBA would look at the Knicks side-eyed and say, oh, I'm not I'm not interested in uh, in Evan Fournier because you had him on your bench. I don't think that's how his value would work out. Right. I think they would put the years on his deal and say, now he has one year left with an option. Okay, I'll take Evan Fournier because he needs some shooting on him. You know? So I think, I think the Knicks fan that's into the process, into the linear movement, of rebuilding a franchise and getting value into into potential deals, into potential lineups. I think they're saying pretty much like, hey, you acquired this guy. Why did you acquire him? You're not going to use him. So, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty much that. I think Knicks fans have seen the ceiling on Evan Fournier. They've seen the ceiling on Derrick Rose. Uh, I think they want to see the ceiling on, on Cam Reddish. And I, I, think, I don't think they're wrong in that, whether they, they jump – you know, there's certain certain people in the fan base that say Cam Reddish is the most talented player on the basketball team, and 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 that he, you know, that that he should start. At, you know, that's that's that that's you know, I got it taken in steps a little bit, but you got to get him on the floor first. But I do think Cam Reddish is on the outside looking at fully healthy of this rotation, yeah. no doubt about it. I would agree, and I just he's great in theory, but again, like I, I know his circumstances haven't been perfect. But, like, you're a young player trying to make it. Like, your circumstances are not going to be perfect most of the time. And you got to do the best with what you have. And Atlanta, for him being the 10th overall pick, wasn't, you know, crying about getting rid of Cam Reddish. So I don't understand why Knicks fans are absolutely dead set on this guy being the guy. Uh, I want to transition to the front office because you said they did a good job this offseason. And I guess my pivot point to you is – or I guess arguing with you. Well, not really arguing, but I don't, I don't know if I can categorize saying that they got rid of uh, veterans who had no place on this team. I, I think they could have done. You know, you can ask me what what I think they could have done, but I don't think they. It's to be determined. Like the, the the moves that Leon Rose has made in theory have been all pretty much at the time. Even the moves that he made that were that were you know in hindsight not the greatest moves. I think that, you know, he's made good moves, but has he really implemented a vision for those moves to come into fruition? That's my right. biggest issue with Leon Rose. I think Leon Rose has made good moves, and then he's pretty much wiped his hands and said, all right, go go compete. And uh, I, I, don't, I think the, the moves he's made don't necessarily match the, the, the vision of the coach, and I don't think he stepped down and had a strong enough hold on the franchise, but go ahead. Which, what, what which is, is exactly why 
I think they dropped the ball with the Donovan Mitchell thing. Because if Brunson, you want to if you want to commit to Tibbs, yeah, absolutely. Right, because well if if Brunson is is what he is, right? Like he's good, he's not great. And you're paying him a certain percentage of the cap without getting the guy who could in theory be you know not always the best player in a playoff series but like he's seventh all time in points per game in the playoffs so like he's a dude right he's an all nba caliber player to not have that guy and then to sign brunson for that deal i just think is putting you smack in the middle where you're not really raising your ceiling i mean you're you're raising your floor but you're not raising your ceiling and it's just more of the same. It's more of the just standing in the middle. And either you got to commit to the young guys and let them ball out and just, you know, play 35 minutes a night. I know Brunson's only 26, but he's kind of a known commodity at this point. Or you just have to go all in, make a move for a player. He may not be perfect, but how often are you going to get the perfect guy anyway and then just try and fill around that guy? Yeah, I mean, the the Knicks are you know they they protect the family first, so they they were they were hell bent on getting Jalen Brunson. Um, it interfered with the, with the logistics about getting Donovan Mitchell, no doubt about it, in terms of having two guys in the backcourt being six foot one. Um, you know, so it, it never really was the perfect fit, anyways. Um, the Cavaliers deserved him more. Um, they're they're way ahead of us in terms of where their franchise is going, and uh, I, I, all off season I, I pretty much said that the Knicks were not getting Donovan Mitchell because I didn't feel like they earned it. I don't feel like they did the necessarily thi- necessary things to to earn a superstar. In order to get a superstar, you have to build value in, into your players. They they told the world that Emmanuel quickly was not the best point guard in the room. It was Alec Burks gave them the best chance to win. They told the world that Obi Toppin was was not a starting power forward. He was a backup quarterback. They told the world that um, Jericho Sims was not worth being called up. They said he was a 40-game-a-season rookie and that he he deserved to be behind Todd Gibson. Um, who they, who, you know, they, they, they told the world that uh, Quentin Grimes needed a world global catastrophe in Omicron to get into the to get in the rotation. You know, they told the world that that Cam Reddish was not worth um, playing over Evan Fournier. So the NBA is not going to do you any favors when you don't do them for yourself. So while 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 you know, I don't agree necessarily that uh, other NBA franchises don't look at the Knicks uh, young players as good as maybe the Knicks fans or the Knicks do. I just think that they're not you're not responsible to 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 adjust the price tag for them. So, so I, I think until the Knicks really raise the value of these guys, they, they will be stuck in mediocrity. So it's really on, on Tibbs to get the most out of these guys. I don't think it's so hard. I think he can incorporate winning philosophies by playing these kids. They were, in fact, I think nine and five in the last 14 games last year, closing a rotation um, largely made up of, of players under 25. Um, yeah, but there was no Julius Randle for the last – two weeks of the year yeah well you know I, again I, I, a lot of people say oh you want to play the kids and, and blow like alan Hahn said uh sounds like you want to blow it up when my guy jay from florida said well 
we got to get a look at these rookie scale deals and see what they're worth before the extension's very sneaky. It's coming around the corner. Yeah. Especially for Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin. Like, and you know, Obi Toppin's we, already 23 years old. And, and it's not even that. It's like we, we just dodged a bullet with Mitchell Robinson. Like, Mitchell Robinson had a very good season last year. There's a reality where Mitchell Robinson, uh, nobody knew who, what he would be. Let's say he got hurt. Then we would be stuck with a player that we, we increased their value from second round pick to $15 million a year and got nothing for him. So, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a danger in not playing these guys. And that's pretty much wasting, you know, if you push these guys four years through your program and you're playing the minutes and, and, and you don't know whether they should be a part of your program going forward or if you should have traded them at the right point, you know, it, it puts you in a never ending loop of, of having, uh, you know, too much of, of average. You, you can't do that. You got you got to consolidate or you got to incorporate these guys in the starting lineup. But, you know, Aaron, I want to make one point. You know, a lot of people freak out on, on the Knicks' previous front offices because of their scandals, um, because of their complete, you know, ineptitude. Um, one thing about the, the, the regime that was here before Leon Rose, um, that, that it just is what it is. They have two guys in the starting lineup, R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. That came from the previous regime. And, you know, you can give credit to this new regime for drafting Obi Toppin, drafting Emmanuel, mainly Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes and Deuce McBride and Rokas. None of them are starters. None of these guys start in the NBA. So, so when you really analyze this front office – They've done a couple things. They've they've made moves on the cheap. They've acquired draft picks. They've signed veterans that haven't panned out. And they've drafted nice rotational players in the back end of, of a draft. They have not continued the rebuild from R.J. Barrett. That is one thing they have not done. So they haven't put another starter into the rotation with R.J. Barrett. So if you don't think Obi Toppin is that guy, if you don't think Quentin Grimes is that guy, if you don't think Emmanuel Quickly is that guy, what are they doing on this team? Agreed. Because you need, you need a pair of some. If you're going to keep RJ and you're going to extend them and you're going to sign Jalen Brunson, who's next? Because that's what they really need to focus on. So, which is exactly why I was against the Brunson contract without making a secondary move to get a guy like Donovan Mitchell of his caliber. Because at that point, just play Emmanuel quickly and see what you have. Start him. I actually disagree with you on um, on Mitchell Robinson. I would have let Mitch Ro- Mitchell Robinson walk and had uh, Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein, who I really like. I would have drafted. I would have drafted Duran. I would have. I would have went nuts to try to get. Here's what I would have done, just to let you know. I would have traded Emmanuel quickly and and a pick and maybe two to move up into the fifth spot to draft Jaden Ivey. Okay. Um, I would. I, I would have tried been, to do that though. I think I, all indications think he tried that, to do it. I'm that aggressive. I don't think they were that aggressive. I think they pretty much tried to see if they were gauging the interest of the Pistons and, and the Kings. And once the Kings passed on Jaden Ivey, they were they were saying, "Well, hey, you know, do you really want this guy? Because we'll give you the tenth pick and we'll 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 supplement a few pieces here. Maybe we'll give you more draft capital, you know, to, to move forward." I think they were willing to trade picks, but I don't think they were willing to trade players. And I would have been a real aggressive to reset the rookie scale deals. If you're not going to believe in him real quickly, you don't think he's a starting point guard. You don't think he's a starting shooting guard. You think he's a bench piece. I would have taken him. I would have taken that 10th pick, maybe take another pick moving forward. And, and, and you're never going to get this low in the draft. 
again with Tom Thibodeau. You were never going to get the 10th pick. It was the only gift or the 11th pick. It was the only gift of a lost season. So um, I would have been real aggressive there. Then what actually happened, which was my plan going in, Twitter GM, shout out to me. Um, I was like, if Jalen Duran falls, I would take Jalen Duran and let Mitchell Robinson walk again, resetting a rookie deal right. and, and building and building, you know, cap flexibility. What they did is they, they made a whole bunch of moves configuring around and saving money so that they can get Jalen Brunson, where in reality, all they had to do was commit to Jericho Sims. They could have signed Isaiah Hartenstein. I get Jalen Duran is, is raw. He's young. He's 18, but he's also raw, young and 18 on a rebuilding team. And he provides something at the center position that is a is a positive is an, is a, is a is a a contrast to what most centers do. So you know it's like why did you know I, I know I know you may not be a fan of them for the politics, but uh, why Ben and Jerry's opened up in Vermont? They didn't open up in a hot climate. They went where the competition ain't. And you know a lot of people are oh the center position's evolving and and you know there's not about low post moves. I would have went and got the guy that that's an old school traditional center. Who can who can provide something a little bit different from what NBA teams are able to 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 do? Well, then they also kicked the can down the road for extra picks that they didn't even put in to seal the deal to get Donovan Mitchell. The whole thing didn't make any sense. But we it's can't. Oche Abaji, Oche Abaji, by the way, the pick that that the Jazz the Jazz ended up taking a pick uh, maybe one or two picks later. That was a, a asset included in the deal. So if you look at the Hawks. Right, you look at the Hawks. The Hawks draft John Collins. They draft Trey Young. They draft Kevin Herter. They draft DeAndre Hunter. They draft uh, o, 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 um, the uh, o, Okungwu. Um, they Okungwu. They draft uh, Cam Reddish. They draft uh, um, all these different young players back to back to back to back to back to back years from 2016 and on. And now, when they have the opportunity to say, "Hey, wait a minute." Bogdanovich is not the guy that we need to pair with Trey Young. We need to get somebody else here to handle the ball, somebody to play defense. Let's trade three picks unprotected and let's get DeJounte Murray. Then that's what I'm talking about, earning it. You have to earn it in a rebuild. You can't just skip the rebuild, have one good year and uh, during COVID and then say, oh, yeah, we're the fourth seed. Let's defend the fourth seed. Let's let's get the players to help Julius Randle beat this matchup zone. Let's get him more shooting. Let's get – no, you can't build around Julius Randle. You have R.J. Barrett. That's your third pick. That's who you built your franchise with. They have yet to do it. They have yet to build around him. So, um, which, which was why, by the way, which was why I was ready to trade him in a Donovan Mitchell trade. Yeah, they're one foot in and one foot out, bro. It's ridiculous. Okay, well, we can't we can't cry over spilled milk. So let me ask you a question. We'll try to be a little positive because we've been a little negative so far. We're trying to be a little positive. I call it objectively critical, but yeah. Fine, fair. What excites you about this season? And on a scale of one to ten, your excitement level going into the year. Um. I mean, I don't know how I, – I, I got to see this team play basketball, man. I, I, I'm excited. I'm always going to be excited for Knicks basketball, man. Um, there's never been a season where I haven't watched a game. There's always ebbs and flows. There's always moments within a season that give you hope. There's moments that drive you insane. Um, as far as players go, you know, I think one of the Achilles the, – the Achilles heel for this team was not necessarily how they came out the gate, all these games, you know, not necessarily the, the rotations and everything, 
but it was the inability to close um, when the game, you know, locked up and the game gets in, in, in isolation. They didn't have a guy they could go to and, and, and score the score the basketball. And I think Jalen Brunson is able to do that. And I'm excited to see what he can do to carry this team um, to win basketball games. I mean, I think that above everything else, I'm excited to see Jalen Brunson close basketball games, him have the ball, isolation, win games at home, win games on the road. When the game tightens up, I, I want to see if he if he can develop into that leadership kind of player because he showed he showed me enough in that series against against the uh, Jazz. He showed me some signs in the series against the Suns. He showed me signs, you know, of, of competence against the Warriors. And I think that's something to to look out for as he gets even more responsibility with the basketball um, with this team. You know, the young guys are going to be young. They're going to be raw. And they're going to be very pol- polarizing within the fan base. I'm confident. I think RJ and Grimes are the two um, most the best young guys on this team. I think Emmanuel quickly is the closest young guy to his prime. I think he pretty much knows what he wants to do in the NBA. He's pretty good at what he wants to do. I think RJ has a, still a lot of growing to do. I think Grimes has a lot of growing to do. I think Obi has a lot of growing to do. And I don't really trust Tibbs to really put – even RJ, I just don't trust him to put, you know, with, with Randall and Brunson, I can't even just say that I'm excited for RJ to make that next step because he still has to sit behind Jalen and, 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 uh, Randall and out of those, and out of those three, I, I think, uh, RJ is the one that's most committed to, to, to not caring about stats, you know, so is what it is. Which is why all the Knicks fans were so crazed about R.J. Barrett. We can't trade R.J. We can't trade R.J. And, uh, you know, R.J.'s linear development is such. And it's just like he's not going to have the usage to possibly reach the heights that you think he's going to reach. Now, I personally think he tops out as like Chris Middleton. And by the way, Chris Middleton's really good, right? He's really, really good. But I... People like talk about RJ Barrett like he's a young Tracy McGrady, like he's a young like I, I don't even somebody in my friend group tried to compare him to like young Kobe Bryant. I'm like, you guys are out of your minds, but whatever. I'm excited to at least see what, what he can do year four. I'm interested to see what Brunson is, especially because, you know, I mentioned his contract with the cap spike coming, like that could be a real, a real value contract in about two years. And then maybe you're ready to move. I like Grimes the most. I'm most excited about him. Like I even mentioned that if it took, you know, I would trade RJ before I would trade Grimes. I just, I like what Grimes does. I like there's a shiftiness to him. And and I would love to see Obi get 35 minutes a game. 35, you're out of your mind. Out of my mind. So, so I guess over under 55 games, for Tibbs this season before they, they he gets canned. I, I wouldn't be confident that Tibbs uh uh doesn't doesn't I, I would I, I would be not confident to say Tibbs doesn't play out his five year contract. Well that's a really, really depressing thought. Because, because it's I don't, just I think this I don't think this team is getting worse. Right. I think this team well, is Brun- getting I mean Brunson is a <laughs> 
to some again to some people they hear that and they go and they think I'm negative and they think you know um that that oh what well, you don't want this team to win you know that, that that's not what I'm saying you know I, I want to give a plug to a really good book that I read years back and it's called the power of negative thinking by a Hall of Fame basketball coach Bob Knight and it's it's kind of uh uh, poetic that it's a rainy day that I'm saying this. He speaks about this new age thought of positivity. If you just believe in yourself and 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 you just really think you're you're good, you, you can do it. And 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 what people don't realize is people overestimate themselves chronically. Like people think they're going to live longer than they do. People think they're going to make more money than they, they actually make. People think the world of themselves, and they're actually not. And, and what Bob Knight talks about he, in the power of negative thinking is by thinking negatively, you actually achieve positive results. So instead of manifesting sunshine, what you probably should do is get an umbrella. And I think Knicks fans, I think Knicks fans, what they do is they, they say, oh, it's O and O. It's it, it, let's see the games first before we lose our minds and do all that. Well, you know, there's this power in your mind. It's called deductive reasoning. And you can use data to back it up to make inferences. You know, if you just search Tibbs game, Tibbs garbage time on Twitter, just search Tibbs garbage time. You can find tweets back to 2018 with T-Wolves fans talking about why is Carl Anthony Towns still in this game? <laughs> Yeah, no, so, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's a broken. It's a it's a it's a broken clock with him. He's he's gonna he's gonna win his coach of the years, and he's going to to be maddening with his with his rotations, and he's gonna get people hurt. And uh, but one thing he's gonna do is he's gonna win games. And I think Madison Square Garden serves the interest of fans. You know, you know, one of the things I saw today that I got reminded of everybody goes, you know, people, people think that LOL Knicks, like people think like people are out to get us. And maybe that's true because the Knicks are playing in the top media market and, and they're a recognizable franchise. And it's, but we, we stink, bro. We're, we're not good. So, so when, when the Suns lose, it's LOL Suns. No one's getting spared from the internet from their lowest moment. And, you know, a lot of people oh. make fun of, make people, you know, Knicks fans make fun of Pat Beverly. Oh, jump on the stands when when you make when you win a playing game. Do you know that the Knicks dropped confetti out of the Madison Square Garden rafters after they avoided a sweep to the Miami Heat? When when Mike Bibby hit that three and Carmelo hit that three. 2012, that sure. Of course. They dropped confetti. They dropped confetti out of the garden rafters. So the I talk made like side talk became millionaires basically off of a Knicks video based on an opening night win. Right. So, so I think the garden knows that MSG of the garden MSG knows that. And, and who better, who better to, to, to lead, lead you into mediocrity than coach Thomas Thibodeau. I mean, so 55 games, what, what's the worst he can be if, if he's 20 and 35, Maybe you have a conversation, you know, maybe you have a conversation like, Hey, if this guy can't win, win, you know, close to half his games, then why is he here? You know what I mean? Um, but you know, I, I just don't see it that way, man. I don't see Jalen Brunson coming to a 37 win team and then, then them being in that spot. Let me ask you a question then. All right. So best case scenario for the season, worst case scenario. 
is the best case scenario for the Knicks, a realistic best case scenario, anything better than a seven seed? Best case. Uh, things can happen in the NBA. I can't. I can't. I can't tell you what the Bulls are. I can't tell you what the uh, Raptors are. I can't tell you uh, to a degree um, what the uh, you know what the what the Hornets are. I can't tell you. I can tell you. I respect the Hawks. I respect the Bucks. I respect the Sixers. I respect the Heat. I respect the Nets. Uh, I respect the Cavaliers. Um, so yeah. I, I it's already I six. You yeah, just so, named six. Yeah, so the so, best case scenario is seven. Yeah. I mean, I don't I, I guess the worst case scenario the worst case scenario for me would be the eleventh seed, like they were last year. Cause then it's just it's the you know, the hamster circling the same wheel over and over again. Uh which if I had to predict the standings that's where I predict they finish because I don't see this team actually making a play in tournament. Um, I mean, if if that's the case, uh, then we got we got big problems. But you know, my my expectation for this team is to is to push competition every night. I think that they should push five hundred as a baseline, and and they should they should they should win forty to 40, 44 games. Um, anything under than that would be a, a major disappointment in my eyes. So you're betting the over 38 and a half on the Knicks win total. They got a tough schedule to start. Um, if they can hold water in the first 10 games, uh, I think this team will start to figure it out. Um, again, the, last year they had a target on their back, and I, I think that they they also weathered the storm somehow and got 37 wins last year. So uh, the talent got better. Uh, maybe they're a little bit more humbled. Maybe they're a little bit more focused. And again, that, that big caveat is Jalen Brunson um, being a closer, and we didn't have one. So, yeah, I would tell you, I'll take that 38 and a half. I'm going to take the under, not just because I'm a little bit down on the Knicks, but I also think the league as a whole is just better. The league is just better, top to bottom. Like, even the bad teams are not really that bad. Like, would it surprise you if Detroit was better than them? No, it wouldn't surprise me at all. They just traded for Bogdanovich. I mean, Cade Cunningham, you know, year two for him, I, I expect a major leap. Like, that wouldn't shock me. I just... I think the league's too good, and where the Knicks are right now with this Randall-Tibbs combo, with all the things that we just described, I just I don't like the mix, so I'm going to go under. That's fair. I mean, and again, I don't really think I don't really think this season's about wins and losses as much as it's about um, development and 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 who who, who pretty much plays. I, I think I think. Fair then, then it's RJ. time to promote Johnny Bryan and whatever. It it sucks. It, it's it's no, kind of a next spot. The next biggest. The, I I gotta go in a minute, but yeah. The next biggest decisions to make are, are no are are not external in my mind. They need to figure out who they want to coach this team. They need to figure out if they're a Julius Randle team or Obi Toppin team. 
that decision's long overdue. Uh, and, and they need to figure out uh, which, which of these guys do they really believe in. Because you can't, you can't tell the rest of the NBA, oh, ooh, I, I don't want to give you this guy. What do you mean? You're, you're playing Evan Fournier over him. What do you mean? You're playing – you want me to trade for Emmanuel quickly? He's not even your backup point guard. Yeah. I, I don't want him to be my back. I don't want him to play shooting guard in my team. I already have one. So it's just like – I don't know. I just think – I think it's, the, the answer is very simple. The Knicks are at Civil War. Knicks fans are at Civil War. Hopefully we can have have a moment of reconciliation at some point this year. Last I hope year, so, you know, too. That, that is highlights, you know. You know there, was, there was times where, where we had fun. If we played the Celtics every night, I think we would have had a great season. But, um, you know, uh, we'll see, man. You're a little, you're a little skeptical on RJ. Yeah, I know you're a little low on RJ, but I think he'll make a believer out of you uh, before his season's end. So I think, I think between me and you, that could be something that that me and you look at towards our next meetup. You know, where where's RJ on the on the believability franchise player meter? I I, I want to be wrong again. I would love to be wrong on this, and it's not like I don't like RJ. It's just sorry. I push back on the on the notion that like I just don't see him being the best player on a team that wins 50 to 55 games consistently. And those guys are rare and maybe that's not fair of me to say that, but I just and maybe it's just this whole team and the franchise and and their ridiculousness and the half in and half out and all the things we spoke about, I just don't see him getting there here. And, and that's my skepticism. And Knicks fans who are, like, telling me that, like, he has better numbers than Giannis in his first three years. Like, we're just not watching the same sport then. Like, we're just not. <laughs> well, we'll, I think we'll, we'll, fi- we'll find out. <laughs> I think we can uh, let time tell the truth with that one. This is true. Well, Pop left. This was great. Thanks so much for doing it. I uh, I hope we do have a coming together uh, Knicks fans, we uh, we end the civil war between the Tibbs believers and the Tibbs haters, and eventually one day we'll have something to to really cheer about. And I'm excited to. Uh, I need to join the Toxic Boys for an episode one time. Every uh, here's one thing about Knicks fans: they they can deny it that they're all toxic. You know, one thing that you see it in football with fan bases, everybody's 0-0 and they think they can win the Super Bowl. All right. You know, a lot of fans call me negative and, and they, they claim not to be toxic, but all that's happening right now is the monster is not under the bed theory. Pretty much, you you pulled down your sheets, you looked underneath the bed, you saw the monster, and you got back in your sheets and you said, I didn't see that monster. We're 0-0. Let's wait for the season to start. Tibbs doesn't have the same tendencies he's had since 2012. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Let's see this team play before I start to be critical of them. You'll be toxic too, okay? I just have a, I have a head start because I use this thing called logic and inferencing. Okay, so I have this thing called logic and inferencing, which pretty much allows me to, to you know, tell that Tibbs has tendencies dating back to 2012. Um, and I, I know pretty much how the season is going to play out, but. You know, when it, when it does go awry, you're welcome on the toxic train. You can express yourself and, and, and say how you've been let down by the 64-year-old man once again. Well, I'm, I'm with you on it. I, I, don't enjoy, um, I, I don't enjoy all the Knicks fans or New York sports fans in general who just drink the Kool-Aid of these front offices that have clearly have, 
have let them down across every single sport right now. The only, the only two, I guess the Jets right now, Joe Douglas is doing a good job. Joe Shane seems confident for the Giants, and the Rangers are our only hope for a real title. But I just don't understand the New York fans drinking the Kool-Aid. Papa left. This was great, buddy. We'll uh, obviously do it again soon. And uh, Absolutely. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for having me, and shout out to all your listeners that support. Shout out, shout out to your whole squad, Toxic Boys, the whole nine. You know where to find them. Uh, Live Like Lefty on Twitter. He's, uh, he's one of the best, dude. One of the best in the business. All right, brother. Take it easy. I'll speak to you, bud. Have a good one. Later. Thanks again to recurring guest Papa Left for coming on. We're having a little Nick's therapy session. Just wanted to push back a little bit. I think you could have a mix of positive thinking and negative thinking. I don't think you have to go all Bob Knight all the time. I'm not sure that's a recipe for success in life. I mean, Bob Knight is a crazy person, as successful as he is. I just think there could be a mix. But anyway, that's episode 178 for the love of the game. I do want to give you guys picks against the spread. I said I was going to do it quickly um, at the end of the show. Well, because of the way the show taped, we're going to do it now. So I've got the Lions plus three at New England. I think the Lions could put a points. I like the Lions as a dog. I said bet the Lions every week. Zappy, Billy Zappy for the New England Patriots. I- I'm sorry. I know they look good against Green Bay, but I like the Lions plus three. I like Seattle. I can't believe I'm doing this. Seattle plus five and a half against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans. What about New Orleans excites you? And Seattle, they're frisky. And, you know, as an underdog, you just take the points. I have Miami minus three versus the Jets. I think they're going to rally around uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I think the Jets had an emotional win. I don't see them doing it two weeks in a row, considering I think the Jets are going to go 5-12 and 12 this year. So I have Miami minus three. Tampa minus eight versus Atlanta. Tampa's offense is rolling back into form. I think this is a revenge game. I don't see Atlanta being able to contain them. I think Tampa gets revenge. And finally, I have the Cincinnati Bengals plus three versus the Baltimore Ravens. I just think Cincinnati's better. Neutral field, I think Cincinnati's better than Baltimore, so we're going to take them with the points. So, again, Lions plus three, Seattle plus five and a half, Miami minus three, Tampa minus eight, Cincy plus three. All those lines are sponsored by FanDuel, and that's 178 for the love of the game. Take us out. Billy Jean, Billy Jean. Christian Dior, Dior. I'm up in all the stores. When he raised the balls, she liked the way I heard. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.